1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 say, The end of all things is near, therefore be alert, be sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. That's a fa fantastic verse for a family. And 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. You may be seated. Now we started this series last week. I gave you an introduction as to what we're going to be looking at, what our purpose for this series is going to be. And I want to run down a little bit more, a little bit of that in review before we actually get into the main points of this message. In this series, we're going to be talking about the family. Now we're going to be talking about the biblical family, all right? Our point of reference for our insight into this series will be the Bible. It's not going to be anything else. We're not going to be reading Life magazine. We're not going to be reading Reader's Digest. We're not going to be reading any of the magazines out there. We're going to be reading from the Bible. We're going to be studying the Bible. And we might share quotes or thoughts from Christian men and women about their view of the biblical family because there's some great insight we can get from people who deal with families, who work with families, who counsel people who have had years of experience working in family ministry. But the principles that we're going to bring out in this series are biblical principles. We won't be talking or taking up the worldly view, we, a view outside of biblical teaching, to define what a family is or explain how it is to function or operate. We'll be looking at the Bible for the purpose of the family. We'll be looking, at, here's a tough one for some uh, especially the younger generation. And I said this last week, and I'm not trying to talk down to anybody, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but with the way society has evolved and the way people look at family and gender roles and things like that, uh, it's completely opposite of what the Bible has to say. So as we look at the family, we're going to be we're, we're going to be looking at family roles, roles within the family, according to the Bible. We'll be looking at the Bible for the purpose. Uh, we'll be looking at the, from the, at the Bible for the impact the family should have on the church and how a family should be impacted by its church. My, uh, we, we've had Awana now for two weeks. We're not having it this week because of spring break, but my sons are excited for Awana. They ask me about it. They, they get up on Monday. They're like, my, my two youngest, they get up on Monday and they're like, is it Awana today? Nope, nope, it's Monday. Gotta go to Wednesday. Gotta wait for Wednesday. I can't wait for the day for my two grandchildren. How, how many of you can say that? I, how many of you can say that? You're gonna have kids in Awana and grandchildren in Awana at the same time. Yeah, yeah, that's me. <sighs> Another important point that I think we need to make right up front, and I say this up front because I want you to understand the perspective that we're coming at this from. This series is about Christian families. It's about Christian families. Families that desire to have God and His Word as the central influence in their home and relationships and desire to serve as a family within a local church. This is not a series to debate societal attitudes about family, although we may discuss that at times. It's not a series to go to war with anybody about the definition of family or marriage. Although, <laughs> after this morning's message, um, there will be people who think I'm wanting to go to war over that. But that's not it. All I'm trying to do is bring you what the Bible has to say. If you don't really listen, here's the beauty of what God, of how God created humanity. He created us with free will, right? He created us with free will. That means we have a choice. If you don't like what God has to say, you are free to ignore it. But understand, when you ignore God's will and God's plan and God's word, there are consequences. There are blessings if you follow it, and there are consequences if you ignore it. I don't answer for your life. If you choose to ignore God's plan in your family, and you want to do it your own way, and you want to listen to society, be pressured by society to do the kind of things that they do, that's on you. That's, up to, that's, that's you. It's not my call. What I'm here to do is tell you what the Bible has to say. And I know that that's going to rub a lot of people Maybe not the wrong way, but it's going to be an irritant for, for people. I get that. I understand. And like I said last week, all I'm asking is that you give it an honest listen with an open heart and an open mind 
to what God has to say to you, not what I have to say to you, not what the world has to say to you, but what God has to say to you. I know this is, it's different than the way a lot of young people, a lot of people under 40 have been raised. I'm, I'm 58, man, when I, was, when I was growing up, we didn't have these questions, okay? We didn't have the, understand when I, was, when I was a kid, divorced people couldn't even be members of churches, okay? So, so this stuff wasn't even a question. There wasn't even a question of what a family was. So I understand that there's a lot of different teaching, a lot of different aspects, a lot of different, um, a lot of different views on the matter right now. All I'm telling you is this, I'm gonna shut those out and we're gonna concentrate on what the Bible has to say. Is that fair? It's not a series to draw a line in any sand about child raising or marriage vows or living arrangements. This is a series to lay out the biblical definition of a family, the biblical roles within a family, and God's purpose and intention for the family and how we as followers of Jesus need to align ourselves or change our perspective to get home straight as Christian families. Listen, as you listen to this series, as you go along and you, you study whether, you're a, whether you are a, a intact, traditional nuclear family, or you're a blended family, or you're a single parent home, as we go through this series, there may be things that you see and, and read and understand and say, you know what, that's something I need to change. I think it's awesome that, that you would be open and willing to make changes. There may be things that you say, you know what, we're doing great, we're gonna strengthen that area of our family. There may be areas that you're just learning about Great, incorporate them. Just have an open mind and an open heart. Now, our very broad definition of family I gave you last week, <laughs> this is our working very broad definition. A family is a group of two people or more related by birth, marriage, or adoption and residing together. Now I threw adoption in there because my family is, uh, part of my family is created through adoption. For some of you, this will be very difficult to hear and accept. For some of you, this will be revolutionary. For some of you, it will anger or sadden you. But my prayer is that for all of you, this series will make you think about your home life and marriage and take an honest inventory and evaluation of those areas. Now, I'm also not here to start a war in your home, okay? I'm not here to start a war between husbands and wives. Just like God gave us free will, God gave us good minds and good understanding. And we have to understand that many of the things that were taught in the past were taught from a, per a certain perspective that wasn't necessarily biblical. And we have to understand that, there, that God created men and women as equals. Okay, that for some in the church, in, in churches, that's, that's, a very that's a very different thought and a very different teaching. I've, I've known pastors who pastor churches. In those churches, the women are expected to, I, I, was, I forget who I was talking to, maybe it was Wednesday night at Bible study. I said in some churches I've, I've associated with um, or known of, women are expected to submit to the authority of every man, every husband in that church as if they were their wives. Well, that's whacked. <laughs> that's way out of line. Same thing with children. Your children are not my children. My children are not your children. I'm not gonna discipline your children and quite honestly, God help you if you discipline mine. Okay, that's just, that's just an honest take. My oldest son over here would probably take you down for a three count, <laughs> just kidding. Um, one, <laughs> but the, we don't do those kind of things. What we're looking for, I can't stress it enough, what we're looking for is the biblical truth and then you take that biblical truth and you make it work for you in your life. What works in one family may not work in another family. Listen, some homes, the, the, the woman is uh, the better financial manager, okay? And the husband, if it was up to the husband, they'd have a bass boat, they'd have uh, all kinds of everything, and they wouldn't pay the rent or the mortgage because they'd be buying toys all the time. Well, guess who should probably be in charge of the finances in that home? Okay, so who should probably run, the, run things? 
See, there are different, different ways we can apply the Word of God, and it doesn't always have to be a dictatorship, and it never should be, actually. So, now that we've gotten through that, let's get right to it. The first thing that we must understand about biblical marriage and God's biblical design is this. God created the family and marriage. It is His design. God created family and marriage. It is His design. Max Licato said this, God created marriage. No government subcommittee envisioned it. No source, social organization developed it. Marriage was conceived and born in the mind of God. Now, since God, since it is His design, He gets to define it. Since marriage is God's design, He gets to define it. Now, you can want to do with it all you want. You can change whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. But you cannot change the fundamental biblical definition of what a marriage and a family is. It's God's design, and God gets to define it. Now, like I said, see right there, right off the bat, I know there are probably people watching uh, and people who will hear this eventually because we share this on many different platforms who will all of a sudden take offense to that. Well, okay. You could take offense to it if you want it. You can have your own opinion, but understand that's your opinion. That's your take. It's not God's. And right, like I said from the very beginning, we want what the Word of God has to say. So what does the Bible have to say about it? Genesis chapter 2, beginning of verse 20. The man gave names to all the livestock. This is speaking of Adam, obviously. The man gave all names to all livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of, the ribs, one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the, uh, made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Pretty simple, according to the Bible. God created man and woman. And God created them to be together, to be a team, to be partners. God created man and woman, and he intended them to come together in a marriage relationship and be a partnership. That is God's definition of a marriage. Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through, six through 9. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason will a man leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. <laughs> Say the hard things, right, Zach? There's two genders mentioned there. That's it. Two. Man and woman. Listen, church. God created man and woman. He created two genders. That's it. When we start deviating from that definition, when we start getting away from that plan, when we start getting away from that... Listen, like I said, do whatever you want to do. It's your life. It's your call. Just understand this. When you go away from those definitions of family, marriage, and gender, you're not in line with God's word anymore. You understand that, right? When you go away from those definitions, that's Bible. Nowhere does it say God created them men and, male and female and then said, hey, however you feel today, decide that way. That's not what he said. Male and female. Oh, Pastor John, you're being mean, you're being hard, you're being harsh. <laughs> okay, whatever. You could say that, I don't, you know, whatever. That's my attitude about that. You could say that, 
whatever you want to say. I'll say this. My life is run according to the word of God. My church is based on the word of God. And I will not compromise my stand for the feelings of others. I will not compromise my teaching for the feelings of others. My heart is for people. I love people. I want to reach people with the gospel. But I will not water down the true teaching of the word of God just so that people will feel better about themselves. We will not fly a special flag over this church just to make people feel that they're welcome. People are welcome in this church no matter what. But I will not change the definition of the word of God simply to make people feel better about themselves or so that we get a nice tag that we can share out in the public about our church being welcoming and inviting. Sorry, folks. We're standing on the word of God. Now, I know, I know that rubs people the wrong way. Listen, my family is affected by that. Okay? For those of you who are upset with me right now for saying that, understand my family, my personal inner family is affected by that. But I cannot compromise the truth of the word of God simply to make other people feel better about themselves. And it's not being mean, it's not being angry, it's not being hateful. It's just being honest with the word of God. If we don't start from a place of honesty and truth, then we're going to get off base the rest of the way. You've got to start off with the truth and build from that. Thomas Adams said, as God by creation made two of one, so again, by marriage, he made one of two. God's base model of a marriage is one man, one woman, one lifetime. I remember when that was, that was the, uh, the teaching, one man, one woman, one lifetime, remember? Uh, some of you who are older might remember that. And that was back in the days when, like I said, divorced people were not allowed in the church. That means that I wouldn't be allowed in the church, right? Means I wouldn't, I wouldn't be allowed. We, we were allowed to be there, but we weren't allowed to. Here's the hypocrisy of those days. Divorced people couldn't be, we could, we could attend, divorced people could attend church, but they couldn't be members of the church. Now, they could tithe, because it's all about the money for some churches, but they couldn't vote, because those pastors taught that divorce was open sin, and you were in open sin if you were divorced. And that's kind of ridiculous. And we'll see that as we go along. As people have opened, as, as teachers and, and pastors have studied a little bit deeper, they've realized that there's a lot more to that and that I'm not bound by the decision of someone else. Someone else's decision may affect my life, but it doesn't change the way I can be used by God. That's God's base model, but we all know that the base model doesn't always work. This is God's ideal, but obviously life happens. Obviously life happens. And God knows life happens. God knows that humanity is fallen. God knows that humanity is sinful. God knows that people make bad choices. God knows that you can be the most pure in heart with the greatest intention in your life and the greatest desire to serve God all you want, but your, part, your, your partner in the home, your spouse may not have that same idea. Man, I, I can't tell you the amount of families I've dealt with through the years who were just, they just seemed to be the greatest couples in the world for God and then suddenly tragedy strikes and one has been living a double life and the spouse that is left is shattered. It happens. Does that mean that life is over for that, what is what we call the innocent spouse? Not at all, because life happens. There has to be the ability to apply biblical principles in every family situation, or there'd be very little possibility of a truly functional, productive, and God-honoring family. We need to remember that. If we cannot apply the principles of the word of God to every family situation, then there would be very little opportunity to have productive, godly families. One of the biggest points, and, and let me just say this, because I know some of you, some people, maybe some people watching, maybe some of you here, 
are saying, well, Pastor John, you just said something really harsh about people just a little while ago. Okay? You just said something pretty harsh. Right? I did. I'll admit it. I'll admit it. It's truth, but it's harsh, especially in today's environment. We do not keep people out of our church. We do not, we do not stop ministering to people just because of their life choices. <laughs> You'll never find a person that, is told, that I have told you're not allowed to come in my church because of your lifestyle. You won't find them. What I say is this, you are welcome here, but understand this is what we believe. And this is our base. Now, if you can be here and serve and, and, and accept that, then I'm fine. But we're not going to compromise our teaching and our stand on the word of God just because people want to make a choice. Listen, I think I extend a lot of grace during football season. Because we allow Cowboys fans in this auditorium. <laughs> you have no idea how, how deep I have to dig to allow, to, to not preach about the sin of following that star. But we do it anyway. And see, that's a very light way of dealing with that matter. Whether I agree with your lifestyle or not, whether, I, whether, I, <laughs> whether the choices you've made in life are the choices I would have made or not, is irrelevant. My call is not to judge you. My call is to teach truth and minister to, who, minister to people that want to be ministered to. I have family members from the, I'm just gonna say it. I have family members from the LGBTQ community. Now they may not like me, but they know I love them. They know I pray for them. And they know that they're welcome in our church. Nobody's gonna kick them out. Nobody's gonna push them away. But they also know where I stand. And they know I stand on the word of God. That's where we have to be. That's what I have to do. Now, you have a choice. You, cho you, can cho you choose your life. You choose your belief system. You choose your foundation. That's up to you, and that's between you and God. But you must understand the perspective I'm coming at is as the pastor of this church and the way our church stands and the way I have to lead. Okay? Now, you can debate that, and I'm sure you will, at home or on the phone, because that's what happens. But if you want to have a conversation, I'm more than happy to sit down and talk about it. What I'm trying to do is share the word of God here, okay? That's where we have to take our stand. Now, I told you this wasn't gonna be a lot of fun. One of the biggest points I'm trying to make through this series is that every family can be a family that God uses no matter the makeup. We have uh, homes, you know, we're going to be talking about the father. We're going to be talking about the role of the father. Well, what, what do you do in homes? There's a couple situations. I mean, we're not going to get into all of that right now, but let me give you a couple scenarios. A couple different situations you have to address. What about single mom homes? Where's the role of the father there? Well, it has to be filled. Something has to happen. That doesn't mean you just go out and find some guy and marry him and bring him to the house. That's making, that's compounding the mistake. Or that's compounding the problem, not the mistake, compounding the problem. That would be a mistake. What about homes where the mom is on fire for God and the father could care less, which is where we are most, most that's where most Christian families are today. Remember I gave you that list last week, I gave you that list of statistics <laughs> where fathers don't even register on the spiritual scale for their children. What do you do there? Well, there has to be principles that are applied. And we'll go back to the story of Deborah in the Old Testament. Remember, <laughs> the judge at the time didn't want to go to battle without Deborah at his side. So Deborah got the glory and, and Jael got the glory for uh, killing the captain of the enemy army. 
Somebody has to, somebody has to step up. And God's not going to judge or not give favor to a woman who steps in and fulfills the role of a father in a home. He's going to bless that. See, there's, there's ways that, that it will be adapted, and we're going to see that. Point number two. God created men and women, intended them to marry, form a family, and raise children. Dr. James Dobson said, don't marry the person you think you can live with. Marry only the individual you think you can't live without. It's a good one. Marry the person you don't think you can live without. When that person is constantly on your mind, when that person is the one you want to talk to all the time, when that person, when you think about going out for coffee, if coffee is your thing, you go out for coffee, and that person is the one you want to be with, have coffee. When you go somewhere, you want, you're, you know, if you, if you have to go on a business trip, you're, te- you're constantly texting that person pictures of where you are because you have to be with them all the time. Man, that's probably a good candidate for marriage. Genesis 1, verses 25 through 27 said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Once again, God's plan is for a man and a woman to get married and to form a family. It's vitally important that we understand this, especially those of you who are young in your homes and you're just starting to expand on your family. Or even those of you <laughs> who are raising children, maybe you're, uh, maybe you're two-income homes, or you've got a lot going on. And the children, invariably the children become the center of the universe for the home because you're raising kids and you're trying to do things for them. They're playing sports, they're going to school, you have PTA, some of you have PTA, I, I run away from the PTA. Um, they have all kinds of different, different things going on in the schools for parents. Understand this, young couples, and those of you who are, who, who are married and you don't have children yet, let me just stress this to you. It's vitally important to note that the husband and wife relationship is the first relationship in the family. The husband and wife relationship is the first relationship in the family. So it is the most important relationship in the family. That's obviously for families who are married, who have husband and wife. That is your most important relationship. However, that is the relationship that gets neglected the most. If I were to take a survey of married couples in our church and I'd say, when was the last time you had a date night? Some people would say, define date night, right? Is date night watching um, something on Nickelodeon with popcorn and the kid on either side? No, (laughs) that's not a date night. When was the last time you took your significant other out on a date? Husbands, when was the last time you dated your wife? Seriously, do you realize how valuable that is to a relationship? Telling your wife, I care enough about you to set everything else aside. So I'm a little, I'm a little, little tired this morning because I stayed up until, I don't know, I think it finished around 12.30, 12.45. Dodger spanked the Padres again last night. Must be tough spending $550 million to lose eight straight to the Dodgers. Oh, and if you want to see a great highlight, Red Sox fans, men on first and third, two outs, little flare out to set left, uh, right center field, Mookie Betts lays out, makes the catch, game over. <laughs> Dodgers win, 2 nothing. <laughs> I figure, if, I figure if I'm going to get people angry this morning, I might as well just go all the way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, it was great. And when he came up, he was pounding his chest. That Dodgers name across the chest. Oh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> that means, gentlemen, 
I tell my, I tell my two adopted boys this. And I tell Zach, Zach and I, you look back, you see Zach is adorned in God's colors today. He's wearing his Dodgers gear, all right? And Zach and I have a, a very strong bond over, we're, we're, very, we're, we're very close friends. Zach and I are best friends. We love the Dodgers, and that's a very, very, uh, something we've had since he was a kid. And Zach is my biological son. Gabriel and Michael are my adopted sons. So there's a little bit of a different dynamic there. Uh, Gabriel and Michael are huge Dodgers fans. In fact, one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me in my life was the 2020 World Series, game six. Zach is in Philadelphia on a business trip. Gabriel and Michael, I let them stay up because I'm a good dad. I let them stay up and watch the World Series. Okay, God gave me bonus points for that. Zach FaceTimes me. And I'm FaceTiming with my oldest son, who is a diehard Dodger fan, while I'm watching the World Series on my big screen TV with my two youngest sons, who are diehard Dodgers fans. That was an epic Field of Dreams dad moment right there. It was awesome. Okay? <laughs> but I tell Gabriel and Michael, say, because they, they're constantly needing reassurance. They need, even though they've been with us for seven years, they've been our, we've been a family for over seven years, they constantly need that reassurance because of everything they went through. And I said, guys, I, said, I love you. They said, I love you, Dad. And Gabriel tells me 20 times a day he loves me. He'll just pop his head up over the couch. Love you, Dad. And that's him saying, I need you to tell me you love me because I'm, I'm still welcome here in this house. And I say, guys, you know how much I love you? And they're like, how much, Dad? I said, I love you more than the Dodgers. They think that is the greatest thing in the world. They think that's amazing, that I love them more than I love the Dodgers. It's a close race, but, <laughs> just kidding. But gentlemen, your wife needs to know that she's the center of your world. She needs to know that you love her more than your fishing trip. She needs to know that you love her more than, her, more than your career, more than money more than the home you've got an eye on, more than the truck or the, the Jeep or whatever it is that you want. Your wife needs to know that she is the number one, number one piece of your universe. And you need to show her that. And you show her that by working on that relationship and making sure that that is the number one relationship. How do we make that work? And we're, we're gonna get in deeper in these, the, into these things as we move along. You know what that means? That means that when it comes to disciplining the children, you don't take sides. It's not you against her with the kids in the middle. It means that you support her and she supports you in the way you raise their children. And you are unified. Sometimes, sometimes it's you against them when it comes to kids. But you'll show your wife that she's number one, and wives, you'll show your husbands that they're number one if you put that relationship above the children. Oh, that sounds so harsh. We're supposed to love our kids. Yeah, and your kids, when they're, when they're 18, 19, 20, 35, whatever it is, they'll leave your basement. And, 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 go, and go get their own house. And you will be, some of you, some people, let me say it this way, some people, they treat their marriages in such a way, their marriage relationship in such a way that by the time the children leave the house, you're stuck with each other. That's a terrible place to be. You need to make sure that your marriage is the, your, your marriage, husband and wife relationship is the number one relationship in that home. If that's true, and that relationship is built on biblical godly principles, everything else will flow. You'll be able to roll with the punches, you'll be able to, you know, you'll be able to get those kids through those smart mouth eight and nine year old years, you'll take them into the teen years where you wanna just hang them by their toes from the cherry tree until they graduate and then you'll see them off to college. And then when they leave, you might have a little bit of empty nest syndrome, but you're gonna be able to comfort each other through it while you go to Florida without having to go to Disney. <laughs> or go to Disney and you don't have to go to Pirates of the Caribbean. You can actually do adult things. <laughs> a 
Conversely, if the marriage relationship is weak, the family will be weak. If your marriage relationship is weak, your family will be weak. The greatest mistake that married couples make, in my estimation, is focusing more on career or children or financial success and ignoring their marriage. And then God added children to the mix. Proverbs 6.20 says, My son, keep your father's command and don't reject your mother's teaching. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he, is old, when, he, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's from the ESV. Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children so that they won't become discouraged. I think that's one of the toughest things, one of the toughest principles that parents have to apply is the... Colossians 3.21 principle. Don't provoke your children to anger. Listen, you are the, you're the authority, no doubt about it. God has established parents as the authority in the home. Now, many parents have ceded their authority. They've, they've given their authority over to the kids, and the kids run the show. Um, I, my home is a benevolent dictatorship. Uh, my boys... You don't, have, you, know, you don't have to ask permission to get something to eat. You don't have to, but tell you what, you're not going to give me a list of demands because I don't, I don't negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> My wife and I have our rules in the home. Hey, Gabriel and Michael are learning very quickly that it's better to go along with mom and dad's rules than to try to sneak behind our back and break them. Because if you break those rules, guess what? Spring break comes and you don't have your Nintendo. Spring break comes, you don't have the Xbox to play on. And since I put the bikes in the shop to get tuned up, you don't even have your bike to ride right now. That's what's going on in our home. <laughs> you see, it's much easier to follow the rules than it is to constantly be at war. But as parents, we need to take the understanding of that verse where it says, don't provoke your children to anger. What does that word provoke mean? <clears throat> that word provoke simply means don't intentionally cause them to be angry. Don't pick on your children. Don't berate or humiliate them. You tell a child they're dumb long enough, they're going to believe they're dumb. You tell a child, you tell a young girl she's ugly long enough, that's one of the most, gentlemen, that's one of the most dangerous things you can do to your daughter. And some of, the, some of you gentlemen, you're dealing with those issues with your wife because that's the way they were raised or that's how they were treated. You tell your child, you're ugly, nobody will ever want you. You know what? She's going to find somebody who wants her. And it's going to be a destructive, it, it may be a destructive relationship. And it's going to be dysfunction. Don't berate your children. If you feel anger rise up, catch yourself. Remember, you are the adult. Don't act like a child. They're going to have those arguments. And I get the calls, I get a call every once in a while or an email from the school. And it's like, Gabriel and Michael, or Gabriel did this, or Michael had this argument on the, I don't like. You teach elementary school. You're around eight and nine year olds all year long. That's the way they are. That's all part of life. Please don't fill my inbox in with, they, argued with somebody on the playground over who gets to play with the basketball today. Oh well, I, mean, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Please teach them how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide, and we'll take care of the rest of that. The, some things just are, don't rise to the, the level of getting my attention. <clears throat> it's important that we understand <clears throat> that we not berate our children that we don't humiliate them, that we don't put expectations on them that are too high. Don't ever put expectations on someone that you would not put on yourself. And that includes your children. And another thing 
I would, I used to say, I used, it used to be that we'd say this to, to men only, but now we say this to men and women. Parents, don't live vicariously through your child. Don't live vicariously through your child. Just because you didn't have success, just because you didn't reach the, the major leagues, doesn't mean that you have to force your child into those kind of things. Doesn't mean that you have to pressure and push them into things. I remember one young man, he was in our, our youth group out of Missouri, Phenomenal at a sport. I mean, he was a state champion as a freshman in high school. Two-time state champion in this particular sport. Could have easily gone pro. Amazing. I mean, easily. Had the offers, had the opportunities. College Division I scholarships to play this particular sport. After high school, he left it all behind. Why? because his father had pushed him and pushed him and pushed him to get up in the morning, to go play that sport when school was over, no time to associate with friends, go play year round. And he said, enough is enough. There was no love for the game in that young man. The father pushed it right out of him. Why? Because the dad wanted to be professional at that sport and wasn't good enough. It's okay not to be a pro baseball player. Growing up, I wanted to be Willie Mays, right? I wanted to be Willie Mays growing up. Say, hey kid, you know what? I don't have those kind of skills. I had to do something else. It's okay. It's okay not to achieve those child, not childhood dreams, childish dreams, because that's not realistic. But what is best as a parent is to encourage your child in whatever they love. Direct them away from the dangerous stuff, but encourage them to find something that they enjoy, something that they love. And even if it's not what you like, you encourage them. I, I, uh, every, invariably, I talk with fathers who say, you know, <laughs> My kid really doesn't like sports. My boy doesn't really like sports. Like, okay, well, what does your boy like? You see, it's not a crime. And fathers, you can still enjoy your sports and your son doesn't enjoy sports and you can still like different things. And if you'll give them the freedom to develop and enjoy the things they want to, eventually they'll come around and see your perspective. And maybe they'll sit down and eat a pizza and watch the Rams with you because we know that that's the only team that Jesus wants you to watch. <laughs> Proverbs 1, verses 7 through 9 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and don't reject your mother's teaching, for they will be a garland of favor on your, heart, on your head and pendants around your neck. Children are a blessing from God but they can also be the downfall of the home if they are not raised properly. We're gonna be talking about that. We'll be talking about biblical ways, not Pastor John's ways, please remember that. That's the point of reference. It's not my way. That's not what I'm saying. And just because I incorporate biblical principles into my home doesn't mean that you have to raise your children the way I raise my children. You may, raise, you may see things that I do with my boys uh, and, and my children that you would never do with your kids. That's fine. You can apply scripture to your home in a different way than I do. The key is that you apply scripture in raising your children and biblical principles. <clears throat> Psalm 127 verses three through five says, children are, inherited, are indeed a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the, are the children born in one's youth. Happy is the man who has, his, has filled his quiver with them. And the last thing we're going to talk about this morning is this. God's plan is that husbands and wives work together in love for the benefit and growth of their home. God's plan for your marriage, God's plan for your home, whether you're a husband and wife, whether you're a single parent, is that you, you work hard to make sure your home is a place of love. A place of love. Like I said earlier, there are parents, some of you would, would 
give your left foot to have your child, especially your teenager, say, I love you, mom, or I love you, dad. Well, my boys can't say it enough. And that's because of our, our, our unique situation. Whether they say it or not, your children need to know that your home is a place of love, that they are loved. Husbands, your wives need to know that they are lo loved. Wives, your husbands need to know that they are loved. Why? Because if they don't, human nature is to find love somewhere else. And if you want to have a strong home, a successful marriage, make sure that love, the love of God, is central in your home. Zig Ziglar said many marriages would be better if the husband and the wife clearly understood that they are on the same side. Do you draw battle lines in your home? Or do you stand together on the same side? Henry Ward Beecher said, the most important thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother. It's a powerful thought. God defines specific roles within the family structure in order for families to be functional. Understand that the roles that have been designed in the home by God are to make sure are designed in such a way that families are functional, that Christian, godly, biblical families are functional. That's God's desire. God's desire is not that we be dysfunctional homes. God's plan is that we function within His plan, His purpose, the roles He's established, so that we can work together and be functional. I want you to, I think I put this one on the screen. A, different in, a difference in role does not equate to a difference in quality, importance, or value. Understand that. You might want to take a screenshot of this or go back and see it later. Because gentlemen and ladies, this is incredibly important to understand. A difference in role does not equate to a difference in quality, importance, or value. Men and women are equally valued in God's sight and in His plan, yet we are distinctly different and are meant to fulfill different roles in a marriage and family. Different does not mean subjugated, enslaved, or, uh, or being made a dictator. You are equal. You simply have different roles. It's the same in the church. It's the same in the church. In the church, in, in this church, there's one senior pastor. In this church, there's one assistant pastor. There's one pastor for cross-cultural ministries. In this church, there are four deacons. In this church, there's two drummers, but one drum set. What I'm trying to say is, there are different roles for different people, but it doesn't make anybody any better than anybody else. We all need to fulfill the roles that we've been called to and that we are filling so that we can be functional as a church. The same principle applies in the home. God has given you specific roles to fulfill in the home and responsibilities, and we're gonna be talking about those. And I'm not gonna hold back, folks. I'm gonna teach the whole counsel of God. And if you want your home to be a godly Christian home that is founded on godly principles, founded on godly love, and is successful and functional for the kingdom of God and for your local church, and that gives your child or your children the best opportunity to be, to be raised to be lovers of Jesus Christ, then you won't bucket that. You'll accept it. And you'll live within the framework of God's plan. Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 33. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and read these. Tough passage for many people. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. 
Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. He did this to represent the church, uh, to present to the, the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one, is ever, no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. God expects husbands and wives to provide for each other, and parents to provide for their children. God expects us to get along. God expects us to love each other. God expects us to respect each other. And God expects us, if you, if you truly say and represent yourself as a Christian who wants to follow Jesus Christ, if you truly represent yourself as a husband or a wife who wants to represent Jesus Christ and wants to show the love of Christ through your life, he says you need to follow my word. Now what I have just read is not something I wrote. I know it doesn't sit well with a lot of people. I know it doesn't sit well with the younger generation of women. I'm sorry. That's the way things are. We're going to be talking about it. It's not what, submission in the home is not what so many have represented over through the, through the years. It doesn't mean you're a slave. It doesn't mean you're a, the, the whipping post. It doesn't mean you're to blame. It doesn't mean that when the husband shakes his glass, you come, it doesn't mean that dinner has to be on the table. Listen, you wanna know who cooks most in my family, in my house, it's me. I do most of the cooking. Why? Because I worked in restaurants a lot. I like to cook. Look at me. I like to cook. I like to cook. I like to eat, for crying out loud. I wouldn't mind going to... There's only a couple restaurants I'd go to where I wouldn't mind going to the kitchen and cooking my own meal. Um, I can't cook like Drew can, um, so he can cook for me any day. But um, I like to cook, I like to season my own food, I like to do those things, I like to make my own egg sandwich, I like to do that, because I like it, I, I even like to make my own coffee. I shouldn't say I even, I like to make my own coffee, because I know how I like it. Okay? Submission does not mean that you are under somebody's thumb. The, the unique perspective we're going to be drawing is the equality in the home, and the equality of roles. It's an amazing dynamic that God has created. And if we would give it a chance, then our homes would be, our homes would be functional. Same thing with children. God expects you, I know, I know many churches taught for many years women should be, stay at home and take care of the home, yet we praise the Proverbs 31 woman. Have you ever read Proverbs 31? The Proverbs 31 woman, she was, a, she was an entrepreneur. Seriously, man. This woman had her own business. She out, somebody told, when Aaron and I were getting married, some of her friends said, you shouldn't marry him. He's a lot older than you and he's only after your money. <laughs> like, okay. Now, Aaron at the time had a pretty incredible job. She was making good cash, okay? But I was doing okay for myself. I, I could go to Buffalo Wild Wings and watch football anytime I wanted, okay? I could, I, I, was, I wasn't sitting, I wasn't the disabled vet sitting on, and I'm not speaking ill of it, I wasn't sitting on a street corner with a cup in my hand saying, please give me money or food. I was doing okay. I wasn't after anybody's money. But the fact of the matter was, when we got married, my wife was probably out earning me two or three to one. I didn't care. Fine with me, I'm not threatened by that. Listen, gentlemen, who cares? If you've got the love of a good woman, if she brings along a nice paycheck, that just adds to the pot, man. I mean, that's just, who cares? Who cares? If she, if she has the, the ability to start a business that flourishes, <laughs> If she gets a job and she becomes something incredible, you know, her, 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 her career blossoms and it out-earns you, so what? Don't define yourself by your paycheck. Yeah. 
Define your home by your love. Define your relationship by your love. That's what matters. Don't be so weak, and I'm gonna say this, gentlemen, and I told you last week, I'm gonna be a little bit, I'm gonna be tougher on the men in this series, not because I am one, but because I think that's where the problem lies, I'll just be honest with you. Don't be so weak as a man as to be threatened by a paycheck that your wife brings into the house. Be thankful that God has blessed her with the ability to do what she does and that she's willing to put up with you and still live in the house with you. You see, we've got to get rid of this arrogance that I have to be, uh, that, that you have a picture of and just start seeing what God, the reason, this, the reason this first message last week and this week has been so blunt, and it has been, I could tell. I could tell it's been, I could tell how people respond to me that I've been very blunt and very, very, I don't even know the word, I don't even wanna use the word, okay? I've been very straightforward in this message. Is because I want you to understand that this is serious stuff, and we need to start at the base. We need to start from the ground and build up. And we need to start with the word of God as our foundation when we're building families. If we are going to rely on what those out there tell us about families, we're going to be in turmoil. <sighs> Telling you, <laughs> I think you know what I'm talking about. God's desire is that Christian homes are happy harmonious and functional homes. Psalm 133 verse one says, how delightfully good when brothers live together in harmony. There's nothing worse than going home at night knowing there's tension in the house, right? It's terrible, it's terrible. That's why the Bible says don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Get the matter taken care of. Aaron is a, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but some of you want to talk things out. You want to confront the issue right up front, right? Some of you, that's your personality. Mine is, psh, I'm just going to walk away for now. Just going to let things cool off. Whew. That didn't, <laughs> that, was, that was interesting for the first couple times. What are you doing walking away from me? I'm just trying to, trying to keep harmony here. Right? Then I learned that if I just stay there and talk with her and get the problem, get the issue, not the problem, get the issue talked out, everything's cool. That's cool. It's fine with me. T-Mobile lets you have baseball app for free. I watch the Dodgers. That's cool. I'm pretty easy to please. God wants Christian homes to be grounded in love. I think of all that we've talked about this morning, and it's one thing I want you to take away from this. God wants your home to be grounded in love, whether you're a husband and wife, whether you're a husband and wife with children, whether you're a single parent, whatever your family situation is, God wants your home to be grounded in love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is what we're gonna close out with. 1 Corinthians 13, verses one through eight. If I speak, human or angelic tongues, but I do not have love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and I, if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. And I think the one thing that we leave out and forget is this last part of verse seven. It endures all things. Love never fails. Folks, that's what we need in our homes. That's the kind of love we need in our homes. A love that will endure. The average lifespan of a marriage right now is five years. Do you realize people go to college longer than they stay married? 
because they don't, they're not willing to endure the tough, tough, the tough stuff. It's not, gonna, it's not gonna be perfect. It's gonna be difficult. And as children, a young couple of you talked to them about them last week. They had a baby, they brought their, their the babies here today. Um, get ready, you know, because kids, kids change things. And you have to work within that dynamic, but you have, to ch- you have to work through that with love as your foundation. Listen, I hope that, I hope that you've listened this morning and I hope that it has piqued your interest and not turned you away. <laughs> and I hope that you, uh, you desire to come back next week and hear it again. I hear more because I'm excited about what this, what this series has to bring to us. And uh, I'm excited about what it's, what it's doing for me and hopefully what it will do for families in our church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here today and the uh, honor of being in your house. Lord, thank you for those who were able to be here. Thank you for those who were able to tune in on Facebook. Lord, I pray that um, as, we, as we look in your word through this series, Lord, it is so counterculture today, which I just kind of find to be strangely odd and sad that biblical teaching on the family is counterculture. Uh, Pray, Lord, that you'll open up our hearts, that we'll truly, truly pray and ask your Holy Spirit to open up our hearts and minds and our spirits to receive your word and then do with it in our hearts, in our lives, and in our marriages and homes what you would have us do with it. Bless us as we go from this place. May we honor you. In your name we pray. Amen.